John's side's not doing so good this morning, but that's all right. They'll, he'll catch up here in a little while. So good to be in God's house, good to be in the God's presence and in the presence of God's people. And so, but it's time to learn the Word. That's why we're here this morning. We're going to dig into the Word. I know there's a lot we could pray about, and we've been praying, and we're just we're just waiting for good testimonies out of this from from people's lives who who know that God brought them through. And we got a lot of sickness in the church, a lot of sickness around, and we're just going to let God take care of that. This morning, right now, we're going to pray over the Word, and we're going to let God's anointing take care of that. Brother Tanner, would you pray over this morning's lessons? Father, we worship you this morning. Thank you, Father God, for another opportunity to be here. Lord, we exalt your name, God, for all sickness and all disease, Father God. We put your name above all things, Lord. We put our trust in you this morning. We ask for your blessings on the classes, Lord, and on the people that gathered here this morning, Lord. We just ask for your presence to be here, God. Teach us, God, the things you want us to know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Everybody know that's watching at home that we're going to be working on getting everybody their books. I said that last week, but we haven't made no headway on that. But we're going to uh, uh, get the ones who want uh, books and get those to you. So um, contact us and uh, if you want a book and let us know and uh, we'll see if we can get you one. So page one in our new study guides. Sin, Judgment, and Restoration. Key verse in Acts 3 and 19, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Um, as far as the text goes in Acts 3 and 19, it, it brings up a, a particular word, and we're going to be talking about that throughout this lesson, and that word is repent, this repentance. Um, I would say that you know every, every church should have you know a vision for... Um, for the things of God and obviously for, for God's work and what he does. But one of the things that I notice about Rock Harbor, our church, one of the themes that we have, you always tell you can always tell the church's theme. What is the theme uh, of your church? Uh, I think one of the things that, that we have as a theme in our church is repentance. And it's not, it's not to be classified as a theme, but as far as one of the things that we really hold true to as a church is preaching and talking about repentance and repenting. And making sure that we all understand. And I would say that, um, at, you know, over the years, people have gotten tired of listening to that. Um, some have even voiced their, you know, a bit of frustration that, you know, you guys should, you know, talk about some different stuff. There are ministers out there that preach along a different line. They, they have a different message. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's no, you can glean things from God's Word from all kinds of different people just so long as they're teaching you the truth. One of the things that we cannot forget, and this is why I like the fact that we talk a lot about repentance here, is because it is one of the core beliefs that you cannot get to heaven without. You, you can't. You, you're not gonna, you are never going to advance in the kingdom of God if you don't understand what repentance is. And I'm, I'll, I'll explain that as we go through because there's some, some places I want to touch on, but it'll define itself as we go through. But as far as a core belief, we cannot get away from Understanding and knowing and exercising repentance. You just can't. You're never going to get away from that. And for those people that don't like that, they say you guys talk about that too much. Um, sorry. I mean, that's just what, that's what God has laid on our heart. I mean, that's what, that's what we're talking about. And it's, it is, you know, our pastor, he sets the, he sets the tone spiritually. 
Uh, that's something that God has put on his heart. That's something God has put on my heart. Uh, that that is a being forgotten about. And you've heard me say this before. It's, it's actually being unpacked from salvation itself. It's more the, the idea of God accepting you who you, uh, who you are, the way you are, and then allowing you to come into that, the kingdom, uh, no strings attached. And that's not actually entirely true. The other side of that is repentance. I repent of the sins that I have committed, the things that I've done and offended him with, and now I have cast those things to the side. And, and then there's this thing that happens, and that God receives us unto himself. You don't believe me? You can look and find it in Scripture. But because there for a long time in the kingdom, it was just assumed that if you accepted Christ, you also repented. But what happened was is I believe that the enemy come in and divided that over time and the uh, ex, uh, accepting Christ as your savior becomes so much a part of the of the rhetorical and I mean that with respect with the rhetorical happenings of the church that repentance was forgotten about it was just be accepted you just need to accept Christ we're going to actually talk about some things um, along those lines here this morning so let's go uh, let's look at, uh, let's get started this is the first in a series of studies from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah's message was one of both judgment and hope for God's people. Your understanding of God will be enhanced as you look at his greatness, including his judgment, mercy, compassion, and promises. And I just want to point out that that is a part of his greatness. His greatness is in judgment. It's in mercy. It's in compassion. It's in promises. It's in a lot of things. It's not just one facet. You say, well, God's great. Well, what makes him great, though? You know, say, well, you define it. Not just because you heard it from somewhere. You define it. What makes God great from a personal perspective? For me, when I see judgment as a part of his greatness, well, let's go back to the old covenant and let's look at some of the things that he did when he judged people and, and not prolonged. It was immediate. What did he do? Well, he opened up the ground. He'd swallow people. And just, and then, and literally close the ground back up where they were. It's like, Oh, hold on a second here. That's that's a version of him that I really don't want to see. But that's also him. You ever, you know, you've heard people before. They'll they'll say, "You that's a side of me you don't want to see." Maybe some of you have even said that probably to your kids. <laughs> that's a side of me you don't want to see. Well, think about it. It's that's God, and and he didn't really say it in those terms, but he's like, "This is a side of me you really don't want to see, but it is who I am." So that's a part of his greatness. Judgment. Uh, the way he exacts judgment, mercy, um, his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. It means without end. And, 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 and that's so amazing. So, but you got to consider this. Where there is a, uh, where there is an unlimited, think about it, there's this unlimited side of his mercy that is, that is untouchable and it's good. And that's what we like, we really like to key in on those features about him is how merciful he is and how compassionate he is and his promises and all those things. But he judges with the same ferocity that he loves. Think about that. He judges the same way with that ferocity that he loves you with and he com he, he pulls you in with. This is the same way that he judges also. It's this ferocity. I mean, look at, look at Revelation. Tell me that you don't see his ferocity and the bowls being poured out upon the earth. Fury, angry 
over sin. So he, he judges the way he loves. And that's an interesting characteristic about him. And, and that just that helps us to know him better. That's what I like about him is, is knowing him. So, so many prophecies of Isaiah have already been fulfilled, but others are part of, his, of our glorious future. Isaiah was a prophet who gave his message to the people of Judah approximately 200 years before that nation fell to the Babylonians as a punishment for the people's rebellion and worship of idols. Early in Isaiah's time, the northern kingdom of Israel, that had been even more evil than Judah, fell to the Assyrians. While much of his message was warning of Judah's coming exile, it looked beyond that to the restoration of Jerusalem in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, the coming of the Messiah, and the eventual revelation of the fully restored New Jerusalem with Christ as the everlasting king. Now, what do, we, do you guys remember what we talked about? I think it was last week. You guys remember what we talked about? It was kind of the ending part, I believe, of Revelation. It was the thousand-year reign. And that's what they're talking about when it says the eventual uh, uh, revelation of the fully restored New Jerusalem with Christ as the everlasting king. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about uh, that millennial reign, that thousand years of perfect government upon the face of the earth. You know, it's interesting, and I'm, not, I'm just going to drop this, and then we'll, we'll leave it, because I've, I've looked over that in, in scripturally and looked at some what some different scholars have said. You know what's so interesting about that is that you would think with Christ being here on the planet in a new Jerusalem in a perfect government for 1,000 years, what is so interesting about that is, is that at the end, the Bible specifically says that the enemy would be loose for a short season, and people would go for it. There will be people that will turn away from those things, not accept Christ, and will follow. Because it says he deceives the nations. He deceives them again. And so people start taking a... I don't want to be... I don't know what, I don't know what my parts will be and all that, but I sure don't want to have to go and see that again. But people take a downward spiral of unbelief, and they stop believing in him. And that's what brings about the, the, the full end and full defeat of, of Satan. And so I was thinking about that. I thought, you know, we're so quick to ask God. You know, if you would do this, I would just believe. You know, people say, well, if he would just do this, I would believe. You know, and the Bible's full of examples of people wanting to see showmanship and power and all that. I don't think you can get much bigger of a city descending out of heaven and literally placing itself uh, on planet Earth and Christ reigning at the head of it. You don't get no better than that. And if and if you, and all I can tell is, and I don't know how it's all going to work, but obviously the, the world becomes repopulated. And so probably at some point the newer generation begins to do what they've always done. They begin to follow things that they shouldn't be following. They're not taught somewhere in there the oracles of God, and they turn away from those things. I know we mentioned it before, and I didn't want to steal it if you were going to go there with the opening activity. Because I'm reading that. I'm oh, like, okay. No, no, no. Go ahead. And it, I always find it good because I forget multiple times. I don't know why I forget, but I do. And it says, it's like, if you own a pet or know someone who does, uh, how even the animal's uh, response to their owner's presence. And you know when they're coming up running and licking on their hands and jumping in their face and just wanting to love you so much and then Scripture says, where in the First Thessalonians 5, 16, whatever, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Mm -hmm. But in that prayer, it means to worship. And we're supposed to, and it literally means to be like a dog licking the master's hand. Absolutely. We're supposed to it's be true. like in that state of worship, prayer, yep. constant. Yep. 
all the time. That's powerful stuff. The imagery there is 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 wonderful, and you see that also in uh, uh, Mary when she took her hair, she washed Jesus's feet, and and, and um, it's just beautiful imagery of it's like of, a staying in a state of repentance mm -hmm. because you're always worshiping. So it's like if you, if you did something wrong and you realize your master, you know, when dogs like. It's like, hey, don't chew all that, and they think, oh, oh, oh sorry. And right. They come up and I was like, please, I'm sorry, forgive me. Yeah, they want to, they want to lick. Yeah, just a little bit, you know. <laughs> don't, don't be mad at me. Be, so. Absolutely, that's good, John. Good. Okay. It says these messages uh, directed to the people of Judah include strong principles that apply to believers of all times. Okay, let's read our scriptures. Kelly. You don't want to read? No. <laughs> There's only six of us in here. Okay, Haley, if you don't mind. Isaiah 1 4 Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord, they have spurned the Holy One of Israel, and turned their back on him. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop being wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. You are rulers and rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the mighty one of Israel, declares, Ah, I will vent my wrath on my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. Zion will be delivered with injustice, her innocent ones with righteousness. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his path. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Thank you. All right, section one, sins of a nation. Isaiah's message focused on how the Lord was at work to save all who would turn to him. In this opening vision, the Lord rebuked the rebellious people of Judah for their sin. Sin always gets rebuked. Always. Always, always, always. But you got to also understand, too, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because I haven't been able to get through these uh, messages, like I, these teachings like I want to. Um, but you have to understand sin in the right context, though. You have to understand sin is not being something that you simply have an option to do or not to do. Sin, ha sin has to be looked at in the context as an offense to God. So as a Christian, it's one of our responsibilities to love whatever he loves and hate whatever he hates. It's our responsibility. We, we are for whatever he's for. We are against whatever he's against. That's one of the marks of somebody who is actually trying to follow God. So think about this. <clears throat> if... If I just, if I take sin, and I, first of all, I don't fully understand it, 
and I start looking at God more like a accept all kind of God, just accept me the way that I am, and, and even so far as, and let me say this, and I say this respectfully, we all struggle with things. I get that. But making sure also that we don't keep bringing him a crutch. And, you know, it's kind of like God looking like, you don't need that thing. Mm-hmm. We got to be careful about, you know, it's really where are we at with God? Are we really bringing him um, an authentic sacrifice? Are we really trying? Or are we allowing sin in? And as an excuse, we stand on that crutch and we say, oh, yeah, I'm working on it. I'm trying. I'm trying to get there. Think about sin in this context. Do you think God's looking at it? It's like, oh, you poor thing. You know? I know you've been dealing with that for 10 years. You poor thing. You'll, you'll get one of these days. You'll get by it. Do you think he views sin that way? No. He's, he's all zealous about getting sin out of the camp. All for it. So that's why, that's why I believe that, you know, he starts pushing buttons and allowing things to happen in our lives that wake us up to sin that is in the camp. He'll wake you up. And you think, if sin, think about it, just connect the dots. If it was not that important, if it was something that was all-inclusive, where God really didn't care and he did accept you without all those things, then why does he allow those things to happen to wake you up? What's the purpose of being woke up if he's okay with you sleeping? So, I mean, think about it. And so, you start connecting those dots and you start to see a God who actually does care about sin. And he does care about what we're doing with it. He does care if you actually repent or not. Very much so. So, um, so he rebuked the rebellious people of Judah for their sins. Said the Lord raised them up as a people who had been faithful. He had been faithful to keep his promises to them. In spite of the Lord's goodness, they rebelled. That sounds like a likely story about us. <laughs> that sounds that sounds like us. He does. He keeps his promises. He does everything for us. He gives us everything. But what do we do? We fight him on it. We turn away from him. We still go do those things that we shouldn't do. And, and, and I'm telling you this this morning because I do believe a lot of the, the, the problems that we have uh, as far as the church is concerned nowadays is with a generation. And I'm not blaming this on anybody. I'm not blaming this on young people. There are older people who deal with it too. A generation of people who aren't seeing sin in the right context. Who are not, who are not seeing it correctly. And if you, and if you start to... If you start to see that generation, uh, let's say a generation that feared God, which was obvious in the Bible, there were generations that feared him, and then the next generation didn't. And so what did God do? He's like, okay, we're going to have to wake you people up. And then certain things would befall them, and then they would go back to the oracles, and someone would dig them up somewhere and say, hey, I found some oracles. I think these are some good things to pay attention to. And so they would do them and reinstitute the sacrifices, reinstitute the things that would honor God, and then what would God do? God would bring prosperity back to the land. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, if you don't have a fear of the Lord, and it, it, it should be a, a, a healthy fear of the Lord, reverence, but I mean, not to fear what he's going to do, but fear what he won't do. Because when he's not there, the enemy just runs amok and does whatever it is he wants to. So yeah. it should be more of a fear of like, what God, what is God not going to protect me from? What is he not going to heal me from? What is he not going to save me from? Because I'm not living sure. under him and under hey, his wing. <clears throat> then he's just, he's out of the picture because it's like, hey, you've got this sin, you're dealing with this, right. I can't come right now until you handle this and get this taken care of or start working on it, my hands are tied. Yeah, and that's a good point. And, you know, f- from my personal experience, 
with him, it's always what he's capable of. Yeah. I mean, he is capable of, of ground-shaking, earth-shattering things. Yeah. But, you know, like the Word says, you know, I fear him because he's the one that can tell me I'm going to heaven or hell. Amen. That bothers me to no end. I'm like, that's it's all in his hands. And so, you know, the Bible says that we, you know, we want to come before him blameless and with confidence. Because I believe that you're going to know when you stand before him, what's going on. I mean, it's, I think it's going to be immediate. You're going to know whether there's this shame and this operation that's you've been posing. Because you can't, you can't hide when you're standing before truth. It's like, here it is. It's all out in the open now. So that's why we, get, that's why we take care of it now. Okay, so um, their rebellion is contrasted to oxen who recognize and submit to their owners and donkeys who know their safety and care is found in their owner's stable. I have to think about this. I thought some people would probably be upset with the fact that we've, we've already come up with two examples that liken us to animals. <laughs> you know what? As long as I'm living in the Lord's stable, I'm okay with being an animal. Right. That's fine. You can, you can classify me anything you want. As long as I'm living in his stable, I'm okay with that. In contrast to the animals, Judah rebelled, resulting in troubles and sorrows. Rebellion always brings troubles and sorrows. So I don't have time to really go into this, but one thing I want everyone to remember, those watching at home, is that rebellion is, on, is a multifaceted, multi-leveled thing. So you have to think about it. Um, what was the old? Uh, oh, what was the old sales uh, thing back in the day? They had the old uh, pyramid scheme. You were, yes, you, you. Some of you might be too young to remember that, but the, they had the old pyramid scheme, and so these people would come into your door and they'd sell this thing, and it would, and it was like, okay, you're here, you know, and then you get two people, and then they go here, and then they would just do this pyramid scheme. And it made this pyramid, and the pyramid always promised prosperity. That was was always the thing. When I was, you know, that was they were you know talked a lot about that when I worked at the bank. They'd always be talking about those type of things. You know, it's like watch out for those pyramid schemes. Watch out for the, you know, there, there's always people selling those things. Well, sin is a lot like a pyramid scheme. It promises prosperity, but it's a scam. You know, it, it really is. It's it's a total scam. The whole thing's a sham. Um, that. When there's rebellion, sin always brings death by definition. So, well, look at it this way. Uh, there's some, I messed with a lot of chemicals. Sean and I play with chemicals almost like they're toys. <laughs> and there's certain, there's certain labels that you have to watch out for. You know, the stuff that we play with, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's equal to a cleaning agent underneath your sink. But then there's other stuff. They've got danger labels that'll tell you, okay, if you pick this up, you got to be wearing this and this and this. It's not like playing with some of this other stuff. You pick this up, you're really, you really uh, are in danger. And you think I'd know this by now. Um, our drains got clogged one time at the old house, and um, I went to the lumber yard and I picked up this canister and it was red, and I was like. Well, anything that comes in a hot red canister must be good. And, and it had a label of skull and crossbones, which means poison, danger. I mean, you guys know when it says poison, danger, it's not something to be trifled with. So I go in thinking I know what I'm doing, and I'm like, I'll just put my gloves on, and I just won't put my face over the stuff. Well, 
I put it in my drain and it sizzles as it's going in. Sizzles. I'm telling you, if it's sizzling as it's going down, it's probably not good. I'm not really thinking about it. I hold my breath. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. I go to the next one. And this is when it got me. So I go in the bathroom and I'm, I'm doing the sizzle thing. And it's dumping down the drain. And a fume. No, I would be better defined as a vapor. Vapor. Crawled up my right nostril. Not my left one, my right one. And I felt it go up and it hit me in the brain like a hammer. Like somebody hit me with a hammer. And I, when it hit me, everything went haywire in my body. I almost buckled. And I started sweating. And I was like, something is wrong. So I run out of the house and I told Misty, I was like, oh, he got me. And I'm trying to breathe. I'm like, because <sighs> it's, it's taking my breath away. My body is really reacting bad to this stuff. And so, you know, of course, then I read the label. What is this stuff? It's a little late now. You know, I should have been wearing a mask. I should have better equipment. I should have been better equipped. So anyway, lesson learned. If it says it's bad, it's bad. So, so by definition, think about it. By definition, if sin always brings death, then why do we play with it? Why do, we, why do we dump it down the drain and act as though we're not going to get hurt? We're just like, it's a, you know, yeah, it's dangerous, but it'll be okay. You better be wearing your armor when you go up against the enemy that's going to use sin as an enticement to lure you back in. So it's kind of a long story to get to a simple point, but I, I wanted to, uh, to share that with you because sin has to be looked at for what it is. It brings uh, rebellion, brings troubles, brings sorrows. They were guilty because of their sin. They were failing to keep God's commandments for they were not showing love for others or for God. So there was, and I don't have time to go into that, but there was a cancellation there. They didn't love God, and in turn, if you don't love God properly, you sure enough are going to love people properly. And uh, there's another point on that I'll make here in a minute. Isaiah spoke of the people's sufferings due to their unfaithfulness. Only the Lord's mercy had kept them from being wiped out. As Sodom and Gomorrah had been, or as, as Sodom and Gomorrah had been, the Lord called on the people to hear and listen, likening them to the people of rulers of the two destroyed cities. The implication was that they faced suffering the same fate. Their religious observances meant nothing to God. And think about what he said there. Um, and I just want to turn back over there. Just look at your scripture. Because I read that over again just a second ago. I want to see what he says here. Um, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Ouch. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me, and I'm weary of bearing them. Ouch, ouch, ouch. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's like a parent telling the child, I've had just about enough of you. <laughs> you know, when you, put, you know, shake the finger thing, you know, I've had about enough of you. I kind of see that in God saying that. He's got the finger out. He's pointing it. He said, I'm not messing around. All right, I'm tired of bearing this. I'm tired of trying to hold this thing up. Everything you do is worthless. And he had likened them unto Sodom and Gomorrah, and he said, you're going to be destroyed the same way. And so the question is, is, is God just? Is that justice? Is that correct for dealing with sin that way? Yes. Yes. Let me tell you why. Because God has to. He has to do it. He's not a truly just God. If you like that, you say, well, I love God because he's just. Well, if you love God because he's just, then he's going to handle you the same way. I found myself in the same predicament before. It's like, I love you, and I love all your ways. He's like, do you really love all my ways? 
do you do you really love all of my ways? Because that's also the side of him. Was, um, well, my dad, you know, he would uh, he take me in the bedroom, and you know when I got my spankings, he'd spank me, and he you know he'd give you the parent thing, you know, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Which is a kid, you don't believe that stuff. When you actually get kids, you're like, okay, I get it now. But God's the same way. God's he's like, I can't let this go on. I'm going to have to punish you. Do you get it? Do you understand? I don't want to do this. I love you. But you've you've sinned and you keep doing wrong, so I have no choice but to judge. I got no choice. You leave me with no choice. If I'm gonna be a good parent, I'm gonna to have to punish my child. Right? If you're gonna be a good parent, you gotta punish your child. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm not. I haven't always been perfect in that. I haven't always been perfect in that. But my my kids have got the belt, absolutely. And I'll still bring that thing out, wave it around every once in a while. <laughs> Say, hey, you remember? It don't feel good, does it? It's funny too. If people <laughs> probably people cracking comments now, it's like you shouldn't spank your kids. I don't know. Maybe you are. Maybe you're not. But here's the thing: that when you when you when you punish correctly. It garners respect. And I've had I've had God come to me and remind me, hey, you remember last time what that did to you? I'm like, he's like, okay, don't don't touch it no more. Oh, why? Why do I remember that? Because I remember what he allowed to happen before. I remember it. He allowed me to just kind of go out there and get myself into trouble. He's like, well, he didn't have to go through that. You can't blame me for it. It's on you. And so he reminds us. He reminds us. He's like, hey, you don't like that. So so, so that kind of, that you start thinking about those things, he reminds us. He's like, hey, you remember what sin did to you? You remember how that felt? It's awful. You don't want to be in there. You don't want to live in that. Now, if you want to go back, I'll let you go back into it again. But you're going to have to decide. You're going to have to choose. You know, you have to, you have to make a decision. Okay. Um, so, um, and that was... What part was I on? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, love for others. Isaiah spoke of the people suffering due to their unfaithfulness. Only the Lord's mercy had kept them from being wiped out. As Sodom and Gomorrah had been. The Lord called on the people to hear and listen, likening them to the people of the rulers who destroyed the two cities. I already read all that. The implication was that they faced suffering the same fate. Their religious observance meant nothing to him. Such observances were instead burdensome to him, for he delights in obedience, not sacrifices. Okay. Let's move on down. Injustice prevails. Isaiah used powerful imagery to decry the woeful condition of the Jewish people. Judah was portrayed as an unfaithful wife because the people were worshiping idols. Now that is a really, really interesting example. He said that Judah was portrayed as an unfaithful wife because the people were worshiping idols. The reason I... I really key in on that is because the Lord actually told me that one time before I actually ever understood or knew that it was biblical. And he come to me and he says, you're cheating on me. And I was like, how? And then all of a sudden, the understanding of where it, this is a marriage. This is a marriage. I asked this question not too long ago. Is this a marriage or is this a friendship? two completely different types of relationships. So a lot of times we only look at God as in the friendship type of aspect. And you say, well, isn't that a good thing, though? Shouldn't we be friends? Well, think about it. 
Let's think about the relationship and let's think about why we look at things like friendship and God looks at things like marriage. In a friendship, you can go home whenever you want. You can get away from them. You call them whenever you want, check on them. That's a friendship. You say, well, okay. But see, a marriage, you live together. You stay together. You go through things together. You don't leave each other's side. You see? There's a difference. So if you start likening our, your relationship with Christ, you say, well, we're just, you know, he's, he's my best friend. Okay, fine. He could be your best friend. There's nothing wrong with that. But are you still treating this thing like a marriage? If you're looking, if is, is this... <laughs> Is this the kind of friendship where you get to kind of do whatever you want and, 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 and hurt your friend's feelings and they don't really matter? That's kind of a lousy friendship. So think, think about it in the right context. This is a marriage. And there are certain things that are required in a marriage to keep a marriage working and together. One of them is faithfulness. <laughs> you got to have faithfulness. If you don't have faithfulness, then you just throw the whole thing away. So God brought that to me and he's like, you're cheating on me. And I argued momentarily. And he said, it hurts me when you cheat on me. And I was like, I've never looked at it that way before. I've just, I've never looked at it the way before. I just, it always, I'd always look to God as the, as the, as the God who forgives me every time I walk out and make a mistake. I'm just going to cash in on forgiveness. When I make a mistake, I'm going to go to him. He's like, <laughs> this is a marriage. That's what he's been recently showing me. Awesome. And it's it's a real deal. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. I don't have time to go on on that, but it's a covenant. Uh, I think idols or idolatry is one of the biggest things within the church. I know it's been something in my personal walk that I've had to deal with personally. Oh yeah, I don't know how that's a good one. Many times, and that's good. it's even stuff that he told me to get rid of, and then it tries to hint back. And you know, I know we've had the issue with video games, and it tries to work and come back into your life. Sure, sure. No, yeah. And it's sometimes got to be like it's okay. It's like, but you got to be okay with just like all right. Drop it and walk away. And yep. Okay. You got to be okay to do that. Yes. And if you can't, then then there's a problem. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. And God will challenge you on that. Yes, He will. And and I think it's such a telltale thing if we're not able to actually turn loose. Yeah. There are some threads that need to be cut. You know that we understand where we're at with God. That's a great example. And it could be literally be anything. It could be video games. Absolutely. Hunt. We've gone down the list. Yeah, we yeah. have. Yeah. Whatever it is that you personally can't let go of. You've just made it an idol. Yes, I think that's great. That's a, and that's a good way to look at it too. Is is if you find if we find ourselves in a place where I just can't let it go, then we've held on to it. We're holding on it, and it's taking the place of where God wants to inhabit. I guess that's good stuff. Uh, Judah was once known as a place of justice and righteousness, but corrupt leaders had allowed injustice to flourish. The Lord declares them to be murderers. That's a painful identification. You're murderers. And it's like, well, but I didn't. I wasn't tried. I didn't go through. It's not legally. I'm not a murderer legally. No. Think about this. What does it matter if God looks at you and calls you a murderer? What does it matter what the legal system says? <laughs> if God looks at you and said, you're a murderer, you're going to hide behind the justice system of the day? I don't think so. God says, I, th I say you're a murderer. And it's the same way, you know, when people are accused, and I said accused, accused of doing things that they didn't do, and they're, they're innocent, um, we are uh, vindicated by how God sees us, right? When people come at you and accuse you of different things, I didn't do that. It wasn't me. But everybody thinks I did. But God is our vindication, not us. Because if there's anything that I've definitely figured out in this world is that you cannot stop the crazy, nasty, 
unfiltered rumors that can go around about an individual. And people will grab onto that stuff and it lights like fire. I mean, it's just unbelievable the things that people spread about other people on Facebook, on social media. It just blows up. I mean, you want to go, if you want a really good example, I mean, just look at, look at, can you imagine being the president right now? Can you imagine being him? You imagine, well, let me, let me take, let's, let's adjust. Missy and I were talking about this. Can you imagine being our governor right now? You can go on his, you can go on his site and he's trying to encourage people. He's calling for a day of prayer and fasting and people are absolutely trashing him because he called for a day of prayer and fasting. And Misty looked through there, and she's trying to find somebody saying something positive, and very far few and in between. Smashing people. Just smashing them. So there's, I mean, as far as the ruthlessness, it's out there. And the chances are, at some point in time, you will be involved in it to some extent. Someone's going to either trash your name, accuse you of something. It's going to be there. We better be able to find our vindication with God. Your, 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 your plant better be in the Lord and not in what everyone else is saying, what everyone thinks. Now, I, I agree. I don't want that stuff going around, but I've almost got to the point now where I expect it. It's going to happen. If you stand for anything good, somebody is going to express their opinion how they think that you're an idiot for doing it. And you almost just got to accept it. It's just like, well, it's just part of the, it's a part of the walk. It's part of carrying the cross. It's part of doing those things. I can't imagine being our president right now and the things that he's had to endure, the things that people have said about him, the things that, that people try to catch him in, catch phrases and things like that that go on right in front of your face. And, and it's unbelievable, unbelievable. And the things that our, our governor and our leaders have to go through, and they have to endure this. And we, we don't think too much about it because we're, we're over here. You know, We're like, you know, what does it matter to me? But these people are trying to lead you. They're, they're trying to do the right thing. And it doesn't matter if you agree with all of those things. It doesn't matter. You say, well, I don't agree with President Trump on some things. And I don't agree with, with, with Governor Stitt on, on certain things. Now, I've looked into these people's profiles and what they're trying to do. They're trying to do the right thing. Trying desperately. But a lot of times, people's high opinion about um, what they think about things takes presidents over everything. And it's awful. It's awful to see what's going on in our uh, nation and in our state to, uh, today. Okay, so he, he said, your murders. It says, they were likened to dross and diluted wine, worthless, corrupted things, because they were not providing justice for the poor and the powerless. Instead, they accepted bribes and gifts. They had become self-serving, forgetting they were answerable to God. Don't ever forget that. Got to answer to God. When a society, here's a good one. When a society abandons the welfare of its most vulnerable members, Injustice will prevail. Man, there's nothing more telling than that right there. When a society abandons the welfare of its most vulnerable members, injustice will prevail. And so that's what God had told him. He's like, look, you've got the poor, you've got the widowed, you've got these people out here that are dealing with these things. You know, my, my word to you is to take care of them and to make sure that there's justice that's served uh, for, for crime. Do it speedily, do it quick, make sure it's taken care of. And and I'll bless it, and things will work out the way they need to. But um, they hadn't done that. They had been taking bribes. From let's This is from the political standpoint, right? You have your high-ranking high officials. They are taking bribes from people. And then the ones that God had said to protect are getting left out. 
now only the elite are being protected. So, um, there's something else to consider too when it says, when a society abandons the welfare of its most vulnerable members. There are, there are a lot of things right now, and I don't want to get into the political side of this, but there's a lot of things right now as far as um, our country is concerned where there is, a, there is a group, I'm just going to term it like that, there is a group of people that want to change a lot of the fabric that our nation was based on. Um, I, I, seen, I seen a promotion the other day. This individual had shirts made up. A high, this is a high-ranking official. Um, openly coming against capitalism. You know what I'm talking about. Capitalism. Now, you got to understand that free trade and capitalism is what uh, what allows us to flourish. Um, the only other side of that, if you take that and you shift that, it's like okay, if, you know, if, if we want to get away from that, then we're we're looking at socialism and we're looking at things that are not healthy. They are not healthy. They've been tried, and they do not succeed. Under no circumstances do that succeed. And I am blown away by the people that actually support the idea of doing away with those things. I'm blown away. And, I, and, I, and I'm kind of taking a side trail there. But there are things that you got to watch them. Christians have to watch it to pay attention because there are things that are it's being infiltrated now, promoting it now. We want to tear down. Capitalism. We want to tear down your freedom of religion and your, your ability to go to church. We want to tear that down. We don't want that no more. Freedom of speech being suppressed, right? Suppression. Not allowing you to speak what you want to speak. Only certain things are accepted. Church, when we start getting into that place, and it's going to take people to stand up for that. you got to stand up. You say, hey, that's not right. Um, I heard a guy say this uh, not too long ago, and I've, I've kind of adopted this. Say, I may not agree with what you say, but I will fight to the death for you to have the ability to say it. Amen. That's powerful. That's powerful. I don't want you, hey, listen, I may not agree with your, your faith or, or what you believe, but I don't want no one to hinder my ability to minister the word of God freely. Freely. That's one of the things that make this country great. Amen. I know. Some things, some, some things you can call an idol, they endorse some of the other things. No, that's good. No, that's a good, good example. And you, even if you don't say you don't realize that it's an idol in your life, and that idol that you have in your life, whatever it may be, endorses something evil, you may go along with that because it's like, oh, I like watching this, or I like doing this. They're okay with this. It's like, eh, I'll let it slide. That's a good, good example. I like this. That's a good example because a lot of times God tries to deroot those things out of our life that are going to infiltrate our belief yeah. system. I think that's good, Sean. Yeah, I mean, and you should be able to see that. Hey, wait. It's like if I like this and they like that, that's evil and abomination to God. I should just turn around and leave now. But right. are, are we doing that? That's a good question right there. Are we doing that? Okay, let's keep moving. Um, it says injustice will prevail when the rights of the poor and the powerless are disregarded. Wickedness will increase leading to a decline in morality and the loss of hope. And, and so I, I don't have time to get into that, but that's the, it's what we've been talking about when we start talking about leading to a decline in morality. So when you have a decline in morality, um, and I said this not too long ago, you can't have, you will not have, and you, you can check this out for yourself, you cannot have religious liberty in a nation, you can't have religious liber liberty and homosexual and gay rights in, in the same basket. 
For those that people that believe that that is possible, that we can put them together, you absolutely cannot. They will collide. One will rule and the other one will not. It's just the way that it is. And so some people will disagree with that. Some people say, well, where do you get that? Well, look at the, the law system that we are based on. Look at the law system we are based on. When you start changing those laws, if you reverse one for one person, then inevitably now you've opened the can because now you're going to have to reverse another for another person. This is where we are struggling in our country today. We're struggling with morality. And because morality is being wrestled with, people are struggling with hope. Okay? People are struggling with what, what, what is ahead for us. Where is this thing going? And so you've heard me say this before. The, the future persecution of the church, I think a lot of people have thought it's going to come from the angle of people coming in the door with a gun. Okay, that's happened in our country. But the real persecution, the real persecution of the church is coming in the legislation of laws. That's where it's coming. It's not going to come in this. We always had this idea. The church always had this idea. I'm, I'm waiting for someone to come in and forcefully grab me and tell me you need to denounce your God. That has happened. But as far as the overall engulfment of our country, it's not going to happen that way. It's going to come in the slow submission to legislation of laws that as people get into office that don't need to be there they're going to slow it'll per, it's a slow permeation be watching be watching for that we we need uh, we need people to stand up that want to stand for morality okay got to have it all right, part two, call to repentance and cleansing. I said I was going to get through this, and so look at me. I'm in section two, and I've got five minutes left. The Lord called for the people to repent. These commands bring out the urgency of what God is commanding. He instructed them to change. Change. He instructed them to change. That's, that's, the, that's the whole gist of salvation. That's the whole gist of, of um, uh, a life in Christ. And so there's hot topics. We have hot topics today. Homosexuality is a hot topic. Um, there's a lot of other hot topics out there, um, but that's become a hot topic, and that's one of the things that we've looked at of recent, of late, is where people are now believing, our young people are believing that that is just the way that I am, and, and you better not touch that. Well, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to change. You have to change. You have to re redefine what you're viewing love as. You have to redefine that. God... God's love, because it all depends on how you define love. How do you define love? You believe love is just this all-encompassing mass growth, uh, massive uh, uh, group of just this, this thing that just covers you, and then you can operate within it any way you want. If you think that that is the definition of love, you need to go back and redefine what God used love as. Is it love? Is love unconditional? Hmm, think about it. Is God's love? unconditional people have said it is think about it I don't think that it is I say that it's not it's not unconditional because in order to receive in order to receive salvation in order to receive God I have to turn away from the things that I was doing before which means what I may have to repent I may actually have to repent for some things I may actually I may actually have to say I've done some wrong Think about it. 
It's powerful. Okay. Those who do wrong have the moral responsibility, moral responsibility to change their ways. But if you're in a society that has repealed morality, think about it. If you have a if you live in a society that has repealed its morality, and morality actually doesn't have value, then where does that leave us? Without the ability to repent. Because there's no there's nothing there's nothing being taught that you are either wrong or you are right. You're whatever you want to be. That's a tough society to succeed in. And I think young people struggle so much because the people that they're looking at have no identity in themselves. Like good. on social good media now, I mean, good. they good just point. follow people who their parents aren't giving them the word of God, and they're finding their identity in these people who really have no identity either. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad to see this generation now, they have no stability because they don't have anybody really now to look up to that's godly because... If you get online and you proclaim that you believe in God, you're going to get canceled. Like, people are going to be like, no, yep. we're not going to make you go, famous or anything like that. So right. kids, kids can't really find their identity in a strong, godly figure hardly anymore, and it's mm -mm. sad. Yeah, that's that's it. And it, it is. the And the figures that are godly, that are worth looking at, they keep those suppressed and exactly, down. Yeah. We we'll keep them out of the picture. We don't want you looking at them. You might actually want to be them. I heard somebody say the other day, I thought it was great. He said, uh, this was a movie star, and I'm keeping names out of this. He, he, was, he was scared of the, of the child that Donald Trump may have inspired. <laughs> I thought it was great. I said, I said, that's funny because he's thinking the same way I am. But he's afraid that Donald Trump might have inspired somebody to actually do something for our country. Yeah. I thought it was great. He was scared of that. I was like, well, guess what? He did inspire, and he's inspired many people. We're coming, so you better get ready. Um, uh, repentance is a change of mind. That is actually the true definition of repentance. That's the true definition of repentance. It's a change of mind, not I'm sorry. Think about that. They see repentance is you, uh, you change your mind. An apology is I'm sorry. They are not the same. They are not the same. But how often has Christians thought about that? Have, have we thought we thought that we, we think that by saying I'm sorry is equal to that of repentance? No. Because because if you you can be sorry for something and not actually be sorry that you did it, sorry that you got caught, sorry that it got you into trouble, sorry that it, it, it brought about bad things in your life, but not actually sorry for the action itself. So think about. Think about how that can change your perspective on how we uh, how we repent. It's not a change. It's not just change of. It's not just an apology. It's a change of mind that acknowledges how sin defiles the sinner, and so repentance is uh, reflected by a change in behavior. The Lord cleanses those who repent. The Lord revealed several results of true repentance. The people needed to stop the evil they were doing and start doing what is right instead of taking advantage of others. Promoting the welfare of others is evidence of a changed heart. What did it just say? It said promoting the welfare of others is evidence of a changed heart. What does God say is the, the greatest gift of all? Love. Love is the greatest gift of all. He said it's, it's greater than gifts of the Spirit. It's, it's greater than anything. You can, there's nothing you can do that can top love. He says promoting the welfare of others is evidence of a changed heart. Meaning, I want to see you do good. 
That's true love. True love is I want to see you do better than me. True love is I hope you prosper in all the things that you do. Lack of love is jealousy because someone got ahead of you. That's lack of love. Lack of love is trying to pull people down and get them to feel the way that you do about something, to degrade viewpoints and perspective. Love listens. It listens. So in our society today, this is one of the struggles um, that we're, we're seeing. This is where Christianity has to step in. It's where we have to step in. We have to have true love. We have to show a changed heart. We have to offer forgiveness when no one else is offering it. We got we got to be the the standard. You if you want, if I can put it this way, you got to be the gold standard for people to look at and say, "There's Christ." I see something weird in you. What is that? I see something going on there. What is that? You know, we're we're peculiar. So I've been called I've been called way worse than weird before. <laughs> but it says the Lord called on the people to reason together. I got I got to end here because we're out of time. He called them together, uh, the people to reason together, settle the matter. That is to reach the obvious conclusion to what he has been saying. I think that's really good. He said, reason together. Settle the matter. Reach the obvious conclusion of what God is saying. What's he saying? What's he saying? He's about to burn the place up. What's he saying? <laughs> He's there's there's uh he said he was gonna he was gonna uh, you know completely blow the place away. What's he saying? Think about what we talked about this morning. These, uh, and I didn't, of course, I didn't get a chance to get into some of the other stuff. There's a lot of material here. Um, but we, we have to recognize sin in the right context. You have to get it. You have to understand where it actually comes from. Where, uh, what, who it offends. And that sin is not something to be trifled with. And that, that if we really want to please God, we got to become the people that he created us to be. That's operating in love. That's operating under the oracles of God. That's operating in the oracles of his word. And it will challenge you, but it's a good challenge. God bless you guys. Thank you.